This is the Detroit Sports Podcast Network. Hey everybody, this is Freddie Cohen of ESPN Radio. When I'm not talking about breaking news or breaking news on ESPN Radio, I'm always a fan and listen to the Detroit Sports Podcast, and so should you. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the One-on-One Podcast. I am the Doc, John Macaroon. Joining me, a guy I met at Oakland University. I was covering the Oakland University Golden Grizzlies playing against Western Michigan. And, Sky, I want to tell you something. When I saw your name tag there, I thought, oh, it said Sky Kirstein on the nameplate there that uh, held your seat. And I thought for a second, oh, a nice young lady's going to be joining me next. <laughs> and then you walked in. I'm like, oh, Sky's uh, a young lad. <laughs> sorry to disappoint. Thank you so much for taking me up on my offer. Coming into our Sterling Heights studios, chatting one-on-one with the doc. I'm looking forward to this chat, getting to know your story, because when we chatted, it sounds like you got a lot to say and a lot of interesting tales to tell. I've been around a little bit, started in Washington, D.C., and now I'm in Detroit, Michigan. So, But I am a Western alum, which is probably the most random thing out of everything, um, but we could start wherever you want to. No, I just want to know your earliest sporting memories. Did you grow up around town here in Detroit? No, I, so I was born in L.A., and then we moved to Washington, D.C. area, Northern Virginia, Chantilly in 1990. So my mom had her baby shower for me at Dodger Stadium. My dad grew me up a huge Lakers fan. So those were kind of my, you know, obviously I don't remember the baby shower that much, but I had the Dodgers and Lakers. My parents would always throw that at me. And then when we moved out, just happens to be when the Redskins were actually good. And I remember going to the NFC Championship game, Redskins-Lions, with my dad. I had a little um, blow-up Redskins helmet, and we had Lions fans behind us, and they took the helmet and threw it down as the Redskins won. But that's probably one of my first memories going to games. I remember going to Memorial Stadium. We lived in Seattle for two years before that, and I remember seeing Ken Griffey Jr. when he first made it to the big leagues playing with his dad. That was really cool. My dad's company at the time had a suite, so we used to go to Mariner games all the time. I remember going to Dodger games as a little kid, having Dodger dogs growing up. But my favorite memories were definitely the NFC Championship game when it's at RFK Stadium, the whole stadium shaking. You got people lighting off fireworks in the stadium, which would be unheard of nowadays, obviously. In 96, I went to the two out of three games in the... um was it 96 ALCS with Orioles Yankees where Jeffrey Mayer cheated and became a living legend in New York and the most hated person in Maryland DC Virginia it would have been one it would have been 20 Orioles if that play never happened going back to Camden Yards it ended up being 1-1 and then the Orioles lost the next 3 at Camden Yards just bizarre plays and that's when the Yankee run really started when Jeter became a legend Trying to think what else. I went to the 2000 NBA All-Star Game at Verizon Center. 98. Oh, you guys will love this. So my dad in the mid-90s worked for the Vancouver Canucks and the Vancouver Grizzlies very randomly. So that really got me into sports. So I would fly out and miss a lot of school and go see him because we were still living in Northern Virginia. You know, fly five hours to Vancouver, stay with him for a week and get to go to all the games and meet everybody. And that was just awesome. Um, I saw Kevin Garnett's second ever game. Uh, where he had his shorts all the way down to his ankles, so literally. And that was just awesome. I got to meet all the players, Pavel Beret, Alex McGillney, really got into hockey, Trevor Linden, uh, Captain Kirk McClain. 
I just had an absolute blast out there. I saw Gretzky's first game as a blue. It was just so much fun. So because of all that, I was a huge sports fan, and we met a bunch of people. And one of them ended up and is still the team president, or I guess the president of the company that owns the Toronto Maple Leafs. And he got us tickets to game four of the 98 Stanley Cup Finals with the Washington Capitals and Detroit Red Wings. So Mm -hmm. I, I went to that. I took a buddy. And we had octopi being thrown over our heads and onto the ice, and it was just really cool. So I figured that you guys would like that a lot. How'd you end up at Western Michigan? Growing up in Northern Virginia, in the 90s, we had Desmond Howard, Juwan Howard, and Chris Weber. So I became a huge Michigan fan, and I remember watching every single Michigan game growing up. We would, that's when you had to like buy them on pay-per-view. So we would buy them. My parents were nice enough to do that, and I'd have friends come over. I had Michigan jerseys, Michigan hats, biggest Michigan fan. Um, And I wish I tried a lot harder in school so I could have gone to Michigan, but my plan was uh, my best friend moved in, like, eighth grade to Warren from Northern Virginia. My aunt lives in Chicago. So my goal was to go to a school up here and then transfer to Michigan. Um, So I ended up at Western. And it came down to either Western or UNLV, and I thought I'd get more done in Kalamazoo than I would in Las Vegas. So I ended up at Western, and then I met alcohol, and I met parties, and I met friends, and ended up staying there. And it was really cool because my first two years were 01 and 02 when Western played at the Big House. And I'm pretty sure I was the first person to get tickets through Western uh, for that second game, so we were right on the first row at the Big House. And you know, going to that is just... There's nothing like it. I mean, I tear up every time I go in. Even now when I'm covering games, if when I walk through the tunnel, I'm just like, yeah, I shake. And, you know, it's just there's nothing like it at all. And uh, I regret not working harder in high school because that was my dream school. But we used to go out and just have a blast out there. We I had friends out there. And, uh, you know, I just really I love Michigan to death. So, the, so that's how I ended up at Western. Now, I'm a, you know, I, I loved my time at Western. I was there. Graduated in December of 05 and just had a blast in Kalamazoo. I love the city. I love the school. Um, And I'm actually going out there on Friday for the Toledo Western game. I traded with a guy in my office, so he's going to produce our 10 p.m. show, our 10 and 11 on Friday night. So I get to go out there for the game. So I'm really looking forward to that, and I'll be rowing with everyone else. Very interesting what's going on there with P.J. Fleck out there at Western Michigan. Really a situation where, you know, he's taken a team and and really built a a program that can rival national programs right now. Well, let's talk about that. In the MAC and in lower-end Power 5 schools, it comes down to recruiting. And P.J. Fleck, I thought he wasn't a very good coach his first year, but I liked the culture he was bringing in. His second year, he still wasn't that great of a coach. Great culture. Third year still, and I think he's learning how to be a great coach. X and a nose coach, but it's taking time. And I still don't think he's there yet, but he's a great recruiter, great motivator. And it's a family. You look at what happened his first year. He had a good recruiting class. His second year, a better recruiting class. His third year, a great recruiting class, but he's telling these kids who would get recruited by Purdue or Indiana, you know, lower big 10 schools that, Hey, why are you going to go there when you could play here now? And we have NFL players. You look at when I was there, Greg Jennings, Jason Babin. These guys have made it to the league. EJ Biggers, who I rode the boat with in Washington when I covered him when he was with the Redskins, we would yell at each other in the locker room, row the boat. And now everybody's rowing the boat because he's so good with these slogans. He's so good putting together a true family out there. And 
you know, honestly, I don't know if it would work if he went to a different school. I just don't. I think if he goes to a different school, it's almost like you told us this, but now you're doing this. I don't know if it would work. And I think that could hurt him a little bit if he he's one of those guys where I think he's kind of stuck where he is if he wants to continue to be successful. And I love him. He went from, you know, being somebody where I'm like, I can't believe they gave him this job to, you know, he's a guy I look up to after what he's done there. But I just don't know if it would work if he went to another school because of what he's developed. Now, you look at on the opposite spectrum, a guy like Jim Harbaugh, who does the same thing, but he's a terrific coach. The Niners are 6-20 and 20 since he's left. He made Colin Kaepernick look good. And you look at these two coaches on two separate sides, Harbaugh could coach anywhere and be great. I mean, he's a terrific coach, terrific motivator, has a really tough task this week. If he wins in Ohio, at Ohio State and they make the playoffs, he's going to be a hero here. He already is, but you know, just another status higher. But you look at Fleck, I just don't know if this would work if he went somewhere else. Now, would he really take a lower Big Ten job? I don't think so. I think it would have to be a major, major job. And even then, Western's going to do everything they can. And hopefully, they really look at, and this is, you know, I've read some things about this. I don't know if it's going to really happen or not. They look at getting out of the MAC and going to a bigger conference. They're the biggest school in the MAC. They have the best facilities in the MAC. And they have pro talent that goes from Western to the NFL and other sports as well. I mean, you look at hockey. Hockey's been terrific this year at Western. But they have the facilities to really compete in other conferences. So we'll see what happens there. Plus, his wife's from Kalamazoo. I hope he stays. But again, I just don't know if this would work if he went somewhere else. I think he'd lose a lot. And why should we believe you? Are you going to be here very long? So I don't know. It's going to be very interesting to see. And Western, again, they're going to do everything they can to keep him. So prior to going to Western Michigan, who were your influences? Did you start to think that maybe I wanted a job in sports? What were your early career aspirations? And what did you start thinking about maybe when you first started looking at maybe a job in sports? I always wanted to be in sports. I just didn't know how to get there. Uh, My early influences was, well, you guys saw him here on the sports machine, George Michael. I grew up watching George every night on the local news. At 6.50, him and Jim Vance, who's a local legend down in D.C., they would have eight minutes of sports, and it was the best thing. Everybody turned to NBC. I remember when they were playing the when Redskins camp's going on, and you have George, you always go at 6.50. It's George and Sonny from Redskins camp, and they break it all down for you. So uh, George Michael was a huge influence just watching him, and honestly, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I went, one thing that I did growing up is I flew. I didn't get my private pilot's license, but I went through flight school and I'm a huge aviation nut. I just didn't want to take that step if I didn't know what I really want to do and have to keep that up. So I still do my flight simulator all the time. I'm the biggest aviation nut. But Western Michigan also has a great flight program. And I knew that was my backup plan if I didn't really know what I want to do. So I went to Western. I started off as a business major. That lasted like a semester. Then I went to communications because a kid that I know was like, oh yeah, I want to be a broadcaster. I'm like, that would be pretty cool. I want to be a broadcaster then. And um, got into communications, and you know, we fiddled around with stuff at Western. Uh, we did TV classes, fake newscasts, stuff like that. But I still didn't know what I really want to do. I had an internship in 2004 in uh, Beverly Hills, California at a high-end PR firm, and that was interesting. I didn't know if I really wanted to go into entertainment PR, um, and it was more of busy work. You didn't learn a lot, and that... Like when we have interns at Fox 2, I want them to do stuff. I want them to go to games. I want them. We had an intern last night help us write. You know, get interactive. You don't want to just have an internship where you're just kind of there just doing nothing. 
learn and why we're doing things. So like when I put together a rundown for a newscast or a sportscast, I should say, I have them go through and I go, this is what I'm doing. This is why I'm doing it. And this is what I need to do to get it done. Through all that, um, I didn't really know what I wanted to do at Western. And it, I graduated in 2005 because I kind of just wanted to get out of college, something I regret. I wish I would have gone there for 10 years. I love college. I miss college. Uh, but then I got into the real world and I ended up doing mortgages down in D.C. because my friends were. And one thing I realized quickly is how much I hated mortgages and how this is 2005, 2006, how sleazy the industry was at that time. So if I knew anything about business at that time, I would have been all over this, but I didn't. So I'm like, they're giving out these big mortgages to people because of their credit scores. This makes zero sense. We were literally making up the numbers to put in. And if their job could possibly make that amount of money, then it was good. We're giving, you know, somebody making 45 grand a year, five houses. And it's like, you know, a bunch of rental properties. So don't worry. You could just rent them off and then you'll sell them and you'll make money off the equity because housing prices are just going to go up. And DC's kind of one of those regions where it's kind of in a bubble where, you know, you always have the government there. So prices usually will go up or they'll stay the same. They're not going to crash. And they really didn't. That was one of the most unaffected places. But at the time, I'm like, wow, this is really going on right now. This person has a 720 score, but they're making 45 grand, but we're going to put them into an $800,000 house just because of what they could be making. And we just fumbled it. And it was just really sleazy and I hated it. So I didn't know how to get into the broadcasting industry. One thing I started doing then going to like broadcasting schools, just checking them out. And I ended up going to the uh, Connecticut School of Broadcasting, which I think some of it's defunct now. Some is, I don't know. So I went to that. And the cool thing is, I was learning everything I pretty much learned at Western. I did learn some things I didn't know at Western, but I learned a lot at Western as well. But the teachers were local on-air talent. And through that, I ended up getting an internship at the number one radio station in D.C., which is a news station, but they have a sports department. So I started going out to games. And through another teacher there, I ended up getting a part-time job at Sirius XM Radio on MLB Network Radio as a producer. So that's where my path kind of started. And through all that, the local CBS talk station, where they had a bunch of famous programs, Howard Stern was on it for years, but they had a show called Don and Mike, a local afternoon show in DC, which was huge. Um, the Sports Junkies, which were actually on up on stations up here for a little while, they flipped formats in 2009, I guess it was, to sports. So the guy who helped me get the producing job at XM ended up going there and becoming their Redskins beat reporter. And one thing that I got from being at WTOP was um, not only was I going out to games and cutting tape, or now digitally cutting tape, I was also um, one of the anchors there was the pre- and post-game host for the Washington Capitals on the Capitals Broadcast Network. And he's like, hey, I'm not going to pay you, but for this season, would you like to kind of be my intern and go and interview players and you know come back and I'll give you some a little bit on air, but not much. And I was like, sure, this is a great opportunity. So I covered the Caps for a year, didn't get paid, but I got to meet players, got to meet PR, and it was a really good opportunity. Well, when the sports station, or when the talk station flipped to sports, they needed Caps beat reporter, and there I was. So the guy who helped me get the job at XM then helped me get the job at the new station, I became their Caps beat reporter. And through that, I was with 106.7, the fan in D.C. for five years. I covered everything I covered the Caps the entire time, broke 
some pretty big stories I'm kind of proud of down in D.C. I also covered the Redskins for five years because they needed a second guy out there. And I covered the Wizards during the lockout for a year. And the Nationals, they sent me to the 2012 playoffs down in St. Louis. So I just, I covered a little bit of everything. Some of the coolest things I got to cover was Steven Strasburg's first game, which was just amazing. Just a pub there. The 2012 Redskins run with RG3, which was very special. Last two games with the Giants and the Cowboys at home, night games, you know, being on the field and just feeling all the electricity before then. Covered Joel Ward's goal up in Boston when the Caps uh, defeated the reigning Stanley Cup champions in seven. Um, it, it was just really, really cool. I got to cover a bunch of fun things, and I made a lot of connections there. And then I also started doing then work on the side with the local CBS affiliate as a sports analyst. On I would do come in there once every two days, three days, and do sports analyst stuff for them on their television sports cast and their kind of like sports works what we have here their nighttime show game on so that was always a lot of fun and then i would co-host on the local um kind of like equivalent to channel 20 we call it news channel 8 down there with their abc affiliate and i'd co-host a sports show there a 30-minute sports show once or twice a week and that was a lot of fun um some people that came from that was Britt mchenry who's on espn now so i used to co-host with her then i started you know really growing in the business but what happened was and dc's an interesting sports market it's not like here where it's diehard there it's very transient and i think it could be a great sports market but the tv stations and the radio stations don't put enough into it uh to be honest they're kind of like all right it is what it is so the sports stations radio stations are you know not the highest rated stations like the ticket here is just awesome and it's a behemoth and number one in the area they do a terrific job uh there it's just the sports stations don't catch on like they do up here and so I wasn't really getting where I wanted to go down there. It's just a very interesting market, even though I was one of the few people that was actually from there and grew up there. Not a lot of people in that area are. Um, they still weren't giving me the opportunities I really desired. So in 2012, I found out that Dan Miller was from Northern Virginia. He's actually from the town next to mine. And his executive producer, Greg Kanner, is also from there. So when Dan got the job up here, in 97, I think it was. And he, his career kind of looks a lot like mine. He started in radio. He was the Redskins beat reporter and came up here. He brought Greg with him and they still have a lot of friends down there. So I was talking to two buddies down there. One's a producer, one's now with 120 Sports, a host um, in Chicago. And I was talking to them about, you know, I love Detroit. All my friends from college, they all live up there. I used to fly up here five, six times a year. I mean, I, I really love the area and I love being up here. And, and it's the best sports town in the nation. There's no doubt about it. You have everything here. And I really wanted to get up there. And they're like, oh, well, we know some people. And they put me in touch with Greg and Dan. And I ended up going out to lunch with Greg in 2012 just to talk to him about there and making connections. And that's what, and, you know, it's my connections I made down there that got me um, lunch with Greg, who's the executive producer at Fox 2. And, through that, every time Greg would come home, come home because he's from Gaithersburg, uh, Maryland, I would go out there and meet him. And every time I'd come up here, I'd be like, "Hey, I'm in town. Let's you know, let's get lunch or supper or dinner." And and I would meet him. And through all that, uh, about a year and a half ago, I started applying for jobs at Fox Two, just part time. I was like, I left the fan in 2014, I guess, and I started working doing some side stuff for the Redskins, which was a good opportunity. It just didn't come to much because what they wanted me to do, the NFL ended up getting rid of. 
So I was kind of didn't know where I wanted my career to go and didn't know if I wanted to stay in the industry or not. So Greg, you know, I was still talking to him a little bit and I started looking online at fox2detroit.com looking for jobs. And there was one like a news writing position and I applied for it and they called me because I knew Greg, uh, the assistant news director who just happens to also be from the DC area. And she called me and it just didn't seem like a good fit, but she's like, stay in touch, keep applying. And I ended up applying then in August of last year. Yeah, it was last year for a part-time news producer position. What do I know about that? Nothing. But I wanted to get up here. I wanted to show my face and I wanted to introduce myself to people. And plus, I really wanted to move up here. Even if it was part-time, it might have been a good opportunity to just get out of D.C. And so I came up here for the interview. Well, first off, uh, they called me up and they're like, are you going to be in town? Anytime soon, I had a wedding in at the end of September. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to uh, one of my buddy's weddings in September. And they're like, all right, well, give us a call and you can stop by. About you know, four, five hours later, I was thinking, I'm like, no, I need to go up now. So I, I asked my best friend and his wife if I could stay with them for two weeks. And that's a long time. And they're like, yeah, that's no problem. Or I guess it was, it was either two or three weeks. And they're like, yeah, that's fine. And so I flew up and I came up Saturday of Labor Day weekend and to meet with her on that Wednesday. And it was for a part-time news producer position. And so I come in, you know, dressed to the nines, suit, tie, everything. You got to look good. Always make sure you look good. You never know what might happen. So I sat down and she started selling me on Fox 2. And Fox 2 is a great place, obviously. Uh, Number one rated station here. They do a terrific job. I'm very fortunate. And she started selling me on how great Fox 2 is. And I'm thinking to myself, why is she selling me on a part-time job? This is interesting. And then she goes, well, nobody ever leaves here. I'm like, okay, all right. But our executive sports producer, not my friend, another person, is retiring. And we want to change the position from a producing position to a multimedia journalist position. And then, you know, my ears just perk up, my eyes get wide. I'm like, well, let me tell you my background. Because when I was in D.C., not only was I a radio guy and a TV guy, I also ran CBSDC.com. And I actually had an interview just like this a few months earlier where I flew out to Denver for their local NBC affiliate and they decided to go in a different direction. Um, so I was all ready and I had everything set. I'm like, well, let me tell you, I did this, I did this, I did this. This is huge on social media. This is what really, and I'm, I'm really big into that. So uh, it went really well. And then a few minutes later, I met with the news director, talked to him for about 45 minutes to an hour. And a week later, then I met with Dan. And I thought everything went well, but it's just, you know, if I didn't take that chance to apply for a part-time news producer position, I would never have been interviewed for a full-time multimedia position. So for those that don't know, what would you define as a definition of a multimedia journalist? A multimedia journalist is somebody who does a lot of one-man band stuff. That means that you're running your own camera, you're running your own mic, uh, you're editing yourself a lot for the digital side, which is us, fox2detroit.com. Check it out, fox2detroit backslash or .com backslash sports. Check it out. You do a lot of social media stuff, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Fox 2 Sports on Twitter. I pretty much run it by myself. Um, Fox 2 Detroit on Twitter, or, or Fox 2 News on Twitter, Fox 2 Detroit on Instagram. It's a lot of multimedia stuff because in this industry, it's changing. I mean, look at podcasting nowadays and how big that's getting. That's because a lot of people are cutting the cord. And at Fox 2, we're trying to keep up with that. And they're doing a really nice job of us going on the digital side so we can keep up with that. If you have cut the cord and you still want to see local news, go to our website every morning or every night, and we have a live stream uh, newscast. And that's something that we're really building on. And if you go to Fox 2 Sports, 
or, or I'm sorry, if you go to our sports site on foxydetroit.com, I try to put up a lot of digital content. So if I'm out at Red Wings practice, I put that up. And you hear directly from the players um, at Lions. You hear directly from the coaches or players. And we have, we're very limited on what we can put up because NFL rules. Um, but Red Wings, Pistons, uh, Tigers, the whole press conferences are up there. Oakland. And what my goal is to take people directly to the action. I want people to act like they're there. I'm their representative. So when I'm at practice, I try to put stuff up so they could see what I'm seeing, where they feel like they're right there. One thing that I realized when I was at 106.7 The Fan in D.C. is the highest rated stuff on our website. And at that time, there was no limit what you could put up time-wise with the NFL. Now there is. I can only put a minute 30 up, then I have to delete it the next day. Um, At that time, there was nothing. And our highest rated stuff on our website was the kind of like podcasts here was our bites that we would use for our sports cast was the full press conferences. So I would just record the entire press conference and put it up on our website. And fans love that, especially post game. They want to hear exactly what's going on from the players. So now at Fox to Detroit, there I am with the camera because I can do it myself and just put it straight up online. And that's what a multimedia journalist does. And that's what we want to bring is bring people directly to the action. Hopefully, starting um, in January, I'll be able to get out a lot more We have, because of the NFL and the Lions and stuff. I've had to be in studio a lot, but I want to be out there to the action and get it up as fast as possible. But a lot of times, when we do have cameras out there, I can put it up online. So if you ever want to see uh, what's going on post game, hear from SVG, hear from Blashel, hear from players, coaches, everything, go to Fox 2 Detroit and about an hour, hour and a half after the game, it will all be up there. When I'm there, it's a lot sooner than that. Um, and I saw down in DC, this was the, uh, stuff that was getting the most hits because when people are at work, they're bored. Where do they want to go? They want to see what's going on at practice. They want to know what's going on. Um, and that's why I'm really big to the social media stuff. And that's what I'm trying to bring to Fox to Detroit is really be your representative. So I'm out there in the action and you could see what's going on when you're at work and know exactly what's going on with your favorite teams. And when there are bad games, you could hear directly from not just what we show on TV, but hear the whole press conference, hear everything uh, that's going on. Your role at Fox 2 is sports, multimedia journalist, and television producer. Yeah. And I've seen your a little your bit of everything. <laughs> a little bit of everything. And I see that you've done a lot of things behind the scenes and done some reporting and yeah. stuff on air. Just your personality and how you view things. Do you find yourself being more of a TV producer or more of an on-air talent? I like being more on-air because I like to talk. I mean, you could tell probably right now. I like to talk. I like to... Uh, I like to what's the right word perform i guess for lack of a better term um i love being on air so i would say more on air than it is behind the scenes but you need to know it all for you upcoming uh broadcasters you need to know how to do everything fox 2 were a little insulated because of union rules but in any other station and market you're doing everything yourself you're producing your own sportscasts you're shooting your own stuff you're editing your own stuff uh the good thing with my position is i can't edit for on-air stuff, but I could edit for the web. So I get a lot of practice editing using our editing software. I can't shoot on-air stuff here because of union rules, but I can shoot for the web. So I'm getting a lot of practice uh, shooting. And that's the thing. You need to know how to do it all. This industry is just getting smaller and smaller. So for you upcoming broadcasters, if you start in a small market, and you will, you need to know how to do everything. You're going to be shooting your own stuff, producing your own stuff, editing your own stuff. Uh, you need to do it. One thing that you, I also suggest is when you go out to games, act like you've never been there before. And to, for me to say that, 
yes, you want to be professional, so act somewhat like you've been there, but act like you've never been there. So don't act cocky. Show up there and listen. Listen to what the reporters ask the players. Listen to what they ask the coaches. Just go there and listen. There is a rhythm to press conferences. There is a reason why you're asking stuff. And I think a lot of people don't understand that. What I used to do is I would ask questions because I would think about what I'm going to be asked later when I'm on radio or on television. And I'm thinking, what do people want to know? And that's why I would ask certain things. Or if you're looking for like a good bite for television, you need to know how to ask the question properly so you get the best response back. Um, and a lot of people don't know how to do that. They just kind of blurt things out. And you're like, what? what? That just happened. Because they don't have that. They don't take the time to really learn the craft. And asking questions is a huge part because, again, you need good bites for your sports cast. You need to know stuff if you're doing if you're a reporter for radio because you got to realize what you're going to be asked by the host of a radio program. So are they going to ask you about the color of a jersey or are they going to ask you why didn't so-and-so practice? Or let's go back to that play on fourth and one. What was the reasoning behind going for it or not going for it? You need to know why they're going to ask these questions and you need to be prepared. And that's where I suggest for these uh, for um, people trying to learn how to be in the industry and learn to get in the industry is just listen. And also never be afraid to ask questions to other reporters. Why did you do that? Why did you do that? You know, why did you ask that? No, why did you ask that? Ask these questions to reporters. Also make connections, obviously, and that's a great way to doing it by not acting like, oh, I've done this a million times. Oh, I'm this hotshot reporter from Fox 85 in, you know, Traverse City or something. No, just come in and, you know, really, yes, introduce yourself, but take it all in and listen, 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 listen. And again, never be afraid to ask questions to other reporters and even PR people. If they're a good PR staff, they'll teach and they'll help you along. I've seen a lot of times where, like, and this happened where I came from, was you know, PR staff wasn't that great to these young people. They are all about letting bloggers come in and cover games, but you need to teach them how, you know, help them out. Just, you know, treat them nicely, but help them, you know, help them become professional journalists. Yeah, it's not your job. But that's the common courtesy to do. And that's my big thing is teach. Teach what you've learned by your mistakes so others don't make those mistakes. And I've seen where you, where, you know, a lot of teams want this new media coming in, a lot of bloggers and podcasters. That's great. But a lot of people don't have the same training that other journalists do. You know, help them out, teach them how to do things correctly. And uh, that's, uh, you know, those are some suggestions that I have for young journalists. Really just listen. Now, Fox 2 Sports, like you said, number one rated, has a great sports presence. What's your vision of what makes a great, solid sports television program or sports report? See, I'm a little different. I think we need to, how should I say? I, I think what makes it great is we bring people, again, to the action. If you look at Fox 2, it's more, I would say, X's and O's than a lot of other stations where it's more fluff. Oh, uh, this is so funny. Look at that. We're, hey, we're doing one-on-one -on -one interviews and we're getting to uh, the answers for questions that you want. Uh, you look at what Dan does, Dan Miller, he'll do one-on-one -on -one interviews with Stafford, Golden Tate, Glover Quinn, Jim Caldwell, telling you, you know, he's trying to help you see why they decide to go for certain things and bring you like kind of asking the questions that you want asked. So we're more, I'm more of an X's and O's guys. I figure if you're going to watch sports, that's what you want. Uh, the cool thing about Fox 2 is now we have at the we're an hour at six so we do more fluff stuff at the bottom half of the hour 
Um, but it, for our sports cast, it's a lot of X's. It's not X's and O's per se, but it's a lot of answering questions that you want answered, you know, showing you stuff that you want to know, um, more serious sports. And I think you need that in this market because it is such a great sports market. You bring people in, you look at what they do on the ticket is it's X's and O's. That's not a lot of fluff. It's gained down to business and they talk everything and do everything. And they're the number one station here for a reason. And I, that's what I think you need in this market is more showing you what happened during the day, what you missed, and bringing you to the action so you're prepared for that night or you get answers to questions that you want that happened earlier that day or the day before. Um, so that's what I think makes a good sportscast is more serious sports. And also as a TV producer, you have to also kind of work with others' personalities. Yeah. How has been your experience working <laughs> at Fox 2 with the, with the personalities and in, in your past experiences? I'll say this. Dan's the best uh, anchor I've ever worked with. God, he's good. Um, and that's the coolest part about working there is we have great people to work with. Um, Greg Cannon's the best producer I've ever worked with. Um, Jennifer Hammond's terrific. Woody Woodruff's awesome. Uh, Ryan Armani is one of my favorite people. Uh, he's terrific. So I'm very fortunate that I'm working with great people. Um, our part-time producer, Matt Trump, is awesome. Um, so I'm learning a lot. I'm working with some of the very best in the industry. So that's been, I'm very fortunate on that. But just watching Dan at work, it doesn't get any better. He could be a national talent on ESPN in his sleep. And I'm actually kind of surprised they have, may they have come a calling, but I mean, he's just terrific. So those are the, you know, it's that's what I really take from working there is working with the best, seeing how they interact. And again, I like to watch and see what they do when they're at games and stuff like that because they're making connections. They're shaking hands, um, talking. They know everybody. And there's a reason for that. Jennifer Hammond, I call the mayor of Detroit because she knows everybody. And she's very good at meeting people. And that's huge in this industry. That's how you break stories. That's how you become more of a personality, a local personality. Making connections is one of the biggest parts of this industry. You can't just be there and not meet anybody and not, you know, shake hands. Like you, we met at OU and we just started talking. You know, we weren't there just looking at our keyboards going, just looking straight ahead. Like, uh, uh, you need to go out there. You need to meet people. Um, and the reason why I went to OU, uh, that game is because they've been terrific to me. They're awesome. Uh, great people, great campies, just a terrific guy to hang out with. Uh, Scott McDonald, the head of PR there, just awesome. Jeff Konya there. AD is just terrific. And that's what I really like about, you know, where I am right now, you know, a little off topic is everybody's just awesome. All the PR staffs in this area. Great. UDM from the Tigers to the Pistons, to the wings, to the lions, just great people. Uh, Michigan, Michigan state are some of the very best I've ever worked with. So I'm uh that's the good part about beating, uh, being here, but that's, you know, you kind of learn everything from everyone. And I'm a big sports communications fan, and I want to learn a lot about sports communications. So just watching these PR guys at work and seeing them, how they handle themselves in certain situations, you really learn a lot about the industry. And that, I think, is pretty cool. Are you at liberty to share any stories behind the scenes of some of the colleagues that you've worked with? What do you want to know? <laughs> Something that we might not know about working at Fox 2 and working with uh, the people that you work with. Uh, a lot of us play basketball on Monday nights. Rob Wolchek put together a uh, basketball league that we have a lot of fun with. Charlie uh, Laduff comes out once in a while. He's a really good guy. I love hanging out with Charlie. Um, Lee Thomas is awesome. He plays in the league. Uh, I'm trying some good stuff that I'd like to share. I'm trying to think of some stuff right now. Uh, there's a lot of stuff I don't want to share. Uh, no. it's, um, it's really good being there because the coolest part about Fox News, honestly, is the people. And I enjoy myself going in there. The work isn't always fun. 
I mean, it's tough. What are some of the it's biggest challenges really that tough. you have? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, learning how to produce is very, very difficult. So they brought me in not to be a producer per se. It was to be a MMJ stuff that I've done, you know, for years. And I love being out at games. I love to report on stuff. I love to break stories. I love to make connections, meet people. And, you know, we lost a couple of people. It was public uh, earlier in the year. And so Reiner Money went from sports to news. Well, that means that I have to start learning how to produce. And television producing is, and I was a radio producer for a few years. Television producing is a heck of a lot harder than being a radio producer because you have to put it all in the rundown. You have to know the codes to put in the rundown so the director knows where to go. So the um, tech people know where to go. Um, You have to put everything in there and it has to be correct. Otherwise, your monitor graphic in the background is not going to work. The bite that you picked out isn't going to work. The package that you put in there with sound and stuff is not going to work if you don't put it in 100% correctly. And that's the biggest challenge uh, that I faced. It's very, very difficult. Plus, sometimes there's nothing going on and you got to fill a three and a half minute sportscast. Um, and you got to work with the producers of the show. Um, because again, you're kind of only in there for three and a half minutes while they're putting an hour show together. So it needs to fit with what they're doing. So being really the hardest part though, is putting the codes in because these codes, it's like a computer program. It's uh, like learning HTML. They need to be correct or it's not going to work. What are your thoughts on now the use of Facebook Live more and more from Love stations it. to radio? I see yourself on the uh, Fox 2 Fantasy Lounge yeah, we're doing on Thursday, tonight. 7.30. <laughs> we're, we're doing a special one tonight right after this, to be honest with you. Um, I love it because, again, it's bringing people to the action. So one thing that we were doing earlier this year is Amy Andrews was going around with Facebook Live, and we were kind of going through the newsroom, bringing people to the action. My favorite one that I've done non-sports related was with Derek Kever. I was coming in on a Saturday. I think I was going to like the mission game or something or something was going on. Maybe I was producing that night and I got in real early and it was maybe in, I was there at noon or something and it started to storm outside and I saw Kevra and I'm like, Hey, uh, you know, what's going on? You know? And he's like, Oh, a bunch of alerts are coming down. So I just grabbed an iPad and went into his little weather studio and we did a Facebook live and it was perfect because people want to know, you know, what's the storm doing? Where is it going? What's it bringing? They want to know exactly what's going on. So Kevra and I did Facebook Live for like 45 minutes to an hour and brought people directly to the action where they're asking questions and I'm relaying it to Kevra. He's breaking it all down on his computer and it was awesome. And that's why I really like Facebook Live because again, it brings people into the action. You could ask questions right away. Now, when it comes to sports, there's a lot of limits when it comes to Facebook Live. You can't live stream at a lot of events and that's why we don't do it. And I think that's too bad, but many leagues have rules against live streaming uh, when it comes to Facebook Live, and I get it with rights and stuff. But if you're not showing highlights, you still cannot stream at a lot of these events or press conferences you can't stream at. I know I got in trouble when it first came out. I was streaming at press conferences, um, and you're not allowed to do that for a lot of events. So that's why we don't do it. But I think Facebook Live is great because, again, it brings people directly to the action right away, and they can communicate with the person doing the Facebook Live. You have been working in Detroit for one year in one the year. market. You celebrated, and I've seen that you were at the Michigan game with Ryan Armani there, kind of freezing a little bit. What's been one of your favorite memories working in Detroit for the past year? Honestly, walking through the tunnel at Michigan Stadium for the first time. Uh, there's nothing like it. I mean, it was a dream of mine. It's not the way that I wanted to do it. <laughs> I wish I was about four inches taller. and you know. But uh, Set the scene. It, just uh, what first game of the year uh, against Hawaii. 
and just walking through there. And I kind of teared up a little bit because you see everybody, they're all, you know, fans are putting their hands out to high five you, but you know, you don't want to get them. You just want to, you know, you're there for the media. You're not part of the team. So you kind of just walk out there and it's, uh, it's pretty cool. I'm not gonna lie. It's, it's one of the coolest experiences are being down there during a game. I mean, that's something that I've been, that's the coolest part about being here. Um, walking through that tunnel for the first time just brought to you and it still does the other night when I was there for the Indiana game, you know, tears were coming, you know, you kind of tear up a little bit because it's so special walking through that place and all the history there and seeing my first Michigan basketball game at Chrysler in the media. I've been, to, I went to one as a fan a few months earlier. That's really, really cool. But being at the Joe for the first time was really cool being in the hallways and knowing all the history there. That was really neat. Now, it wasn't as fun when I realized that the press box was built into the side of the, uh, what, like one row. Of, uh, the press box there is a disaster. Can't wait for the new arena, <laughs> to be honest. And during the playoffs, I just watched the games downstairs because the internet didn't work and you can't see anything anyways. But it was really cool walking through there for the first time. Uh, my first Tigers opening day, that was pretty neat. We got down there. Hammer and I drove down together. I think we got down there at like 6 a.m. and just everybody on the street and then I, I drove home it's just crazy i've never seen so many drunk people in my life <laughs> to be honest with you i'm pretty sure i was the only sober person in detroit at that time but it was just really really cool i'm trying to think some other cool things uh when, my first lines thanksgiving so i gotta do the lines thanksgiving game last year and that was really neat ou udm covering games there there's nothing like it that's really cool uh michigan state being up there for the first time even though i grew up a michigan fan was pretty neat I did. I remember well during the Furman game this year. That's when I, I think I told Justin Rose like, "Oh, they got some issues, but he's like, no, nah, they're always like this. It's okay. No, they, you can't play Furman this close. I'm sorry. When it's a game going to the fourth quarter, there's an issue there. They're not going to be that good. And then when they beat Notre Dame, everybody's like, oh, things are great. It's like Notre Dame's not that good. That's one team that you always know will be rated about top ten or so every year, and they fall out very, very quickly everywhere. That's why I hate." preseason polls because they mean nothing and i think that messes up a lot of teams as the season goes through oh because you know they're not a top 10 team and then it's hard to raise them and it's hard to drop teams um from it i really dislike preseason polls um because you got teams that are there just because of names notre dame's always one of them you look at oregon in basketball they've lost three in a row you know they're not the number 13 team look at msu in basketball and you could talk about michigan state oh they're young but so is kentucky Kentucky's almost in the exact same situation, and they blew out Michigan State. So I just, I'm not a big preseason polls fan, but off of that, that's the coolest part. That, I mean, honestly, walking through Michigan State for the first time through that tunnel, there's nothing like it. And I don't care who you are, maybe the biggest Sparty fan, and you hate me right now. You're calling me Armani, but there's nothing like walking through that. That, I mean, I, I teared up the other night being out there when it's snowing and stuff. I'm like, this is, you know, and the first time I was down there was actually during the spring game. And it just, there's nothing like it. In your work covering athletes, and you, we all know that, uh, you know, professional athletes can have some vast personalities and be very interesting. Name <laughs> some of the interesting personalities that you've interviewed or covered that uh, uh, bring about a reaction from you. I can't say a lot of it. RG3 was interesting covering him. He, he was kind of nice to, uh, to us, but I think there's a lot of uh, hidden stuff in there. I'll leave it at that. Uh, Ovi was interesting. I remember Ovi came back from during the lockout. So he flew in and Ovi don't talk to off record. Like a lot of athletes, a big thing in this industry is you get to know him and you get to talk off record, not 
to really know you know inside stuff but it, they give you a direction on where to go with stuff a great example is i found out that the offensive line coach for the redskins at the time was telling his team that you look at rg3 he struggles getting to his second read you look at kirk cousins he goes our backup quarterback will go first second third and fourth read and kyle shanahan wanted me to share this with you guys so i can't say it but when i do interviews i could go well you look at Kirk Cousins out there, he gets all the way to his third read while RG3 really struggles getting to his first read. So that's how you use stuff. You give direction on where you're going. So the second year of Adam Oates and the Caps were playing the Blackhawks that night and it was the first year of the new divisions. A player told me it's a disaster, that they hate Adam Oates. He doesn't know what he's doing. He, so Adam Oates made all the players change their sticks. Like he would tell them what sticks to use. They couldn't use their own sticks. He would make the blue liner stay on the blue line. They could not leave the blue line. If you left the blue line, you're going to get benched. So the players were not happy at all. They hated it. They didn't like the systems. It just was a disaster. He treated everyone differently depending on who they were. So I had a player tell me it's just a disaster in here. So that morning I went on the local sports show. I go, they're not making the playoffs, guys. And nobody believed me. Um, everybody's picking them to win the Stanley Cup. Um, ESPN, I believe, had them in the Stanley Cup. When he, I'm like, they're not making the playoffs because that's what I'm hearing. And that's where you get your off-record stuff. And guess what? They didn't make the playoffs. I was the only person, I'm pretty sure, anywhere who said they weren't going to make the playoffs. And I was with it the entire season. And I gave a nice little fist pump at the end that I was right. I felt bad for them, but I was like, hey, I was right. Because that's where you get stuff from. They tell you what's going on. And that's why I, one thing I try to do is keep up relationships now that i'm even up here so a couple weeks ago i saw joel ward when he came in former capital uh, for san jose on sunday i went out down to the show and walked out with troy brower and him and i have become friends just from you know covering him down in dc you want to keep up these relationships i remember i saw him last year he's like what the heck are you doing here uh brooks like another guy that who i've tried to keep up relationships with mike green who's obviously with the red wings now you know, you try to keep up relationships with these players, even though they're no longer there. Braden Holpe, I got a great Holpe story for you. All right, this is a good one. So George McPhee went on NBC, or no, it was, what was it? It wasn't McPhee. It was somebody on NBC said that McPhee told them that they'd be 10 points higher if it wasn't for the goaltending. So the next day, of course, we go up to Holpe, you know, send out the the microphone and go, hey, uh, but George McPhee said that he and he had this really great response, you know, very PC. Then we take it away and he goes, all right, so what happened? <laughs> and he's like, hmm, all right, all right. So it's just, you know, funny moments like that. Um, but when Ovi came back from the uh, for the lockout, he had a press conference and he goes, did you guys miss me? And I go, did you miss us? And he goes, no. <laughs> so you have those, you know, funny moments like that. It's interesting because in professional sports, I think a lot of how people act, players, dictate what sport they're in. In hockey, I don't think they understand sometimes. You only get players about five minutes total in hockey, like during the day. So if you go to a morning skate, you get them when they're in the locker room. Other than that, you don't get them. And their locker rooms are separate from their change rooms. In every other sport, you're in the locker room where they're changing and they're there the entire time. In hockey, that's not like it. They have a change room where they take off their pads, then they go into their locker room. So you're only in the change room for a few minutes. Um, and it, sometimes you see the players, sometimes you don't. So they only have about five minutes during that time to meet with the media. And sometimes I don't think they understand that, but you get good players, a lot of good guys, a lot of good hockey players um, who are just good people and good to talk to. And you could talk off record with them, and that's what I love. And usually, like with Joel Ward, him and I used to talk football. We didn't even talk hockey. Now with baseball, 
you're in there every day for an hour before the game and about 35 to 45 minutes after the game. So I can understand how players kind of get a little short because you're in there all the time. Uh, football, you're in the locker room for an hour or about 45 minutes every practice day. So I can understand a little bit how they get a little tired of talking to the media. And basketball, you're in there for, I believe, 30 minutes before the game and then 30 minutes after the game. Sometimes longer because some players take their time after games to get dressed. So, you know, I think a lot dictates how much players are in there with them. But sometimes you get just good people that like to talk off record. Coaches sometimes like to talk off record, um, which is good because it gives you a direction on where to go. So you aren't completely off on, you know, what you're writing or what you're saying, even though a lot of times it's off record. So you can't say, oh, I got this from so-and-so or I got this sort, you know, you, but it gives you a direction on where to go. And I think the best reporters are the ones who do that, where they have a real good direction on where to go, why they're doing, you know, what's going on. Now, obviously, you're definitely invested in sports. You're, you're obviously a very knowledgeable sports fan, so I'm definitely excited to pick your brain a little bit around town regarding what's been going on with the, <laughs> with the sporting scene. So let's start with uh, number one, the Detroit Lions. Oh, six and, hey. Six and four, Matthew Stafford having a career year. Big Thanksgiving game coming up. What's your thoughts with this Detroit Lions team? Because they're playing a lot of tight games. People are really looking at them going, is this really a good football team? What's the stat that they're... Every game this year, they've trailed in the fourth quarter. So has the Browns, and the Browns haven't won a game. I think they've had a lot of puck luck, so to speak. A lot of puck luck. Oh, and as we're talking, the Pistons just sent out an email that they are moving to downtown Detroit. (laughs) Shocking, huh? The Lions have had a lot of puck luck this year. So they're getting every break known to man, uh, which is fine. Sometimes, because we know a lot of times they don't. So it's very hard to tell with this team. It really is. I like the way Stafford's grown. But again, a lot of those games, they probably should not have won. Like the Redskins game, they're very, very fortunate that the Redskins fumbled in the end zone. Uh, they uh, Stafford threw a pass that went off the back of a player or of a Redskin, and then it was caught. He also fumbled the ball and recovered his own fumble. If any of those things don't happen, and the Redskins were driving again and fumbled the ball. So if any of those things don't happen, you know, they probably don't win that game. You look at Minnesota, you know, Matt Prater makes a what, 58 or what was it, 60 year? He, I mean, he just pounded it. Yeah. Again, if he doesn't make that field goal as time expires, they probably don't win that game. So they've had a lot of fortunate uh, plays. And even the Jaguars, the Jaguars were, I mean, they're awful. And to say that Bortles is a bad quarterback is, you know, kind of saying like that bad's not a bad word. I mean, Bortles is awful. I mean, he is awful. I could not believe how bad he is. So they're very fortunate to win that game because you knew that the Jaguars have no offense. For the Jaguars to even have a drive to the end zone, it's kind of scary if you're a Lions fan. Now you gave up one, you know, it is, but they had a couple drives and you're just like, how? These Bortles is really, really bad. So it's hard to tell with this team. Um, I think Thursday games, you can't put a lot of stock into because nobody in the NFL wants to play a Thursday game. Nobody. You talk to a player, they're not prepared for Thursday games. Zero. They don't want to play. Nobody wants to play. Uh, they don't practice for the most part. Uh, I, when I covered the Redskins, they don't practice at all for Thursday games. They just don't because everybody's still hurting. They do not want to play them. And I think that's why the NFL isn't as good as it used to be because Thursday games and then going to Europe and, you know, nobody wants to play in those games. They just don't. So you don't get very high quality games and it kind of throws off the rhythm. Plus this is our game. It's America's game. When you start giving it out to other countries, people don't like that. It takes away from it. Um, So that's a big reason why I believe the ratings are down and Thursday night games are awful. So I, I don't know how much you can really take from it. 
the Lions better win because they're at home and it, they'll uh, take control of the division. But even if they get a home playoff game, you know, if they play the Giants or the Redskins, I don't know if they win those games. I really don't. It's very tough to tell with this team. They're almost better when they have a lot of injuries and have a lot of adversity. Isn't that kind of funny? So I don't know. I, I think it's one of the toughest teams to really trying to figure out. Because again, they're down in every game this year in the fourth quarter. That's the attitude we took was, let's just go game to game and evaluate, and let's just not speculate. I don't know if they could beat the Giants and the Redskins, especially the Redskins again. They, well, they'll play the, no, they don't play the Giants this year. So Yeah, they play the Giants this year. Do they? The Lions play oh, the Giants, you're right, yeah. you're right, and they still play the Cowboys. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they win those games. Gotcha, no. But I don't know if they could beat the Redskins again either. I, I think those teams are better teams, but you never know. It's the NFL. How will you react if possibly the Lions make Matthew Stafford the highest paid quarterback or potentially the highest paid player in the entire NFL? I would react the same way as I reacted at some Ken Holland contract decisions. They're in a bind. And it's kind of, I mean, they're in a bind. You're in a salary cap league. You can't lose Stafford. What are you going to do? So you're calling Stafford the Franz Nielsen of the Lions? I wouldn't say that. Uh, maybe, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe Henrik Zetterberg from a few okay. years ago, but I mean, look at what the Red Wings said with Zetterberg. That's an awful contract. It was awful mm-hmm. when he signed it. It's awful now, and he still has what two or three years left on it. He does. What does he bring you? You're giving a guy star money, not giving you star production. Uh, you look at Stafford. You're going to give him the highest paid contract. Is he Tom Brady? No. Is he Peyton Manning when Manning was at his height? No. I still love Aaron Rodgers. You know, I thought Aaron Rodgers was terrific against the Redskins. I thought he was really good against the Lions. So is he up there? I don't I don't think so. But again, he's making very few mistakes. I don't know if that's the offense or if he's just really turned into a great quarterback. And he's a good guy, too, from all accounts, from what I've heard. So I don't know. I think it's tough to give somebody that much money, though, in a salary cap league. Then you're taking away from the rest of your team. So you're taking away from what you could do defensively where I still think defense wins in the NFL. You're taking away from what you could do, giving him weapons. I mean, who's your running back? So, exactly. Uh, I think it would be very, very difficult. Um, I think there have also been very fortunate. Their offensive line is playing much better than we expected. They weren't great last week. Um, maybe teams are starting to figure it out. Switching gears to talk about the Red Wings, I know a lot of people before the season said, this team is going to struggle. You said you Play said earlier. the kids. That's no reason not to play the kids. There's none. This team ain't winning the Stanley Cup, boys. Sorry to break it to you. They probably shouldn't make the playoffs. And they wouldn't have last year if it wasn't for Jeff Blaschel. Blaschel, they might get rid of eventually, maybe sooner than later. He doesn't deserve to because of the players on this team, just the talent's not there. I blame Ken Holland a heck of a lot more than I do Jeff Blaschel. They probably should not have made the playoffs last year. Or they definitely should not have. And he got him into the playoffs. So that's saying a lot. Play the kids. There is zero reason to play the kids. I don't. I wonder if he's getting pressure from above not to play these guys every night. Like it took forever to get Mantha here. I get he's not a two way player yet. But how are you going to learn to be a two way player when you're dominating in the AHL? You're not. Um, and he had a sweet pass on the PP though. I mean, he's a just a talent. AA. Good. I'm glad that he's getting. You know, when he's healthy, getting a lot of playing time. But Bertuzzi, why bring him up if you're going to scratch him? Why? There's no reason to. Why is Glenn Denning playing a top six role? I get they switched it now, but still, what is he doing? He's not a top six player. Why are you giving contracts out to bottom six guys for multiple years or fourth liners for multiple years? There's no reason to. I don't care if they're local or not. There's just little things like that you don't need to do. There's no reason for it. And as a salary cap league, it all adds up. And for your goalies to be making as much as they do, $10 million, 
that takes away from your cap. That can't happen. Now, I will give Ken Holland a lot of credit. He took full advantage of a young, inexperienced GM in Phoenix. And I cannot believe that they didn't get a higher value back for that pick. The Red Wings had no choice. They had to make it. So if you're Phoenix, you're asking for a first, you're asking for another first, and they didn't get any, what, they swapped first rounders? Why did they even swap? You keep them. There's no reason to it. Um, So he took full advantage of that. But I think that they're in a lot of trouble because Ken Holland cannot figure out how to work in the salary cap. Yeah, you could be a great GM when you buy all the talent you want. But when you can't, then you're in a little bit of trouble. And I think that's something that Ken Holland's going through right now. And I'm afraid that they're going to end up getting rid of Jeff Blaschel and then it's good, you know, Blaschel's going to go kind of like Rick Carlisle. They didn't have success in other places. What's your confidence level in the Tigers general manager, Alavila, now with a similar situation that he used to have now a higher level of funds to buy, uh, to buy talent. Now the Tigers are in a rebuild mode and we're looking at the first, uh, first moves being made in a 2017 season that's looking to be uh, one where Alavila is going to need to make smart moves with the funds that he's allotted. Well, you just said it. What did you say at the end there? Um, he's going to have to make smart moves yeah, with the funds wait. that he is allotted. Say it again. And that's the thing. Or whatever the, whatever the amount he's going to be yeah. allowed to spend. They're not going to just re-spend like they did last year. And they weren't a playoff team last year. They weren't. Opt-in, very questionable signing. And it was at the time. He's not a star player, but you're giving him star money. Now, he did get going there in the second half of the season. But think of where they would have been without Michael Fulmer. Now, again, Fulmer needs to learn how to adjust, and he's going to have to adjust next year because now there's a lot of tape on him. And the best um, quarterbacks, the best pitchers, the best goalies, they adjust because teams figure out how to get by him. You look at RG3, teams figured him out. And the thing with Fulmer is he's going to have to adjust. A lot of pitchers struggle making that adjustment, and then you never hear from them again. I think he'll figure it out. But think of where they would have been without him. The bullpen was still a mess. You know, when they had injuries, they didn't have, you know, quality replacement players. The Stephen Moyer stuff I still never got because I thought he should have been up here the entire year. Uh, there's just a lot of questionable decisions that they made, and they had such a high salary. I also, I think Brad Osmus is a very nice guy. I don't know if he's a very good manager. I thought he cost him maybe five to ten games last year, and that's the playoffs, I guess, right there. The question that everybody's talking about this week, does Michigan go into Columbus with a backup quarterback, a la what Michigan State did last year with a backup quarterback in, um, you know, Tyler O'Connor. Does Michigan go into Columbus, walk out with the victory this Saturday in the game that everybody's going to be looking to to decipher who's going to be the team that represents the um, Big Ten East? Can I ask you a question? How do you know it's going to be a backup quarterback? I have a feeling that uh, Wilton Spade's not going to be the guy that's going to be behind center. Did you think that Wilton Spade would take warm-ups the other day? No, I did not. But Did you think he'd be out there throwing the ball? No, I did not. I wouldn't go that far yet. But I was very surprised. Now, the weather was awful, but I was I was in O'Corn's camp in his corner during the offseason. I thought he was a better quarterback. So I was surprised by that. Now, Spate hasn't looked good for a few weeks. So when he got hurt, maybe that's what did it. Is he wasn't great against Michigan State. Everybody looks good against Maryland, so just throw that out. And he wasn't great against Iowa, obviously. If he made one of those long balls... Michigan wins, and they were just either underthrown or overthrown the entire game. If you catch one of those, and the receivers were open, catch one of those, Michigan wins. And I thought the play calling was a little questionable in that, but it's so hard. This is like the Lions. It's so hard to figure out because you think Ohio State's up here, but then Ohio State doesn't play like their uh, top team. And again, they lost to Penn State while Michigan blew out Penn State. And then Ohio State has trouble at Michigan State while Michigan went in there and 
pretty much dominated that game and they were up 30 to 10 at a point before they just kind of you know let state back in the game but didn't matter i don't know i think that they can i think that defensively their defense really has to buckle up on the run game and we've seen this all year their running defense is not very good and it should be a lot a lot better if ohio state's forced to pass the ball that's great for michigan is they're not going to have a lot of success with michigan secondary but if they're if they run and they're going to run it's going to be very tough for Michigan to stop them. Now, offensively, if John O'Corn plays, he needs to play at a whole nother level than the next week. They need to run, run, pass. Devion Smith needs to have a terrific game and get those young running backs involved too. Get them going. I want to hear McDoom, you know, people screaming that out. Get them going a little bit. I don't know. I really don't because I think a lot will depend on what Ohio State team shows up. Is it going to be the one that showed up last year against Michigan? That team shows up. They're going to be very tough to beat. If that team doesn't show up, Michigan probably should beat them. I think the worst part about all this that makes me sick to my stomach, and it's nothing against Penn State, I don't think they're that good. And if Ohio State wins and Penn State goes to the Big Ten Championship, it's a joke. I'm sorry. And nothing against Penn State. Again, Michigan blew them out, though. And that just doesn't sit right with me. But you never know. Um, So I I think Michigan should, and or I think they could win this week. And I obviously hope they win this week. I guess we'll see. They They have more veterans on their team. They have a lot of seniors, uh, but the good thing is they've played a lot of young guys this year, so they're set for next year too, and that's what I do like. I don't know if they've played them enough in those blowouts, but they've played a lot of young guys this year, and so they're in good situation, but Harbaugh's such a good coach, and you got to believe he still has a bad taste in his mouth after what happened last year, so I'm going to pick Michigan to win, but I, I think it's going to be a very interesting game. It could be like it was 10 years ago, the 42-39 game, something like that. Sky Kirstein, kind enough from Fox 2, television producer, multimedia journalist, kind enough to share stories about his career in, in the last hour. Now, this is still a question we ask all people that come in here, and we get a sense of where you would go. You got four tickets. You can take any three people, dead or alive, family or friends, to any sporting event, any venue. Which event would you go to, and who would you take? I don't know. Stuff. <laughs> Bo, Harbaugh, and uh, Chrysler to the Ohio State Michigan game. And just let him talk. And you listen the entire time. Yes, sir. Sky Kirstein, thank you so much. You can follow him on Twitter at Sky Kirstein Fox 2. Check out his great work, fox2detroit.com backslash sports. Thank you so much. I always say that when you're having fun, time goes by. We just blink, turn on the mics, and an hour and 10 minutes just flew by. Thank you so much for coming in. I greatly appreciate it. I look forward to seeing you more um, at uh, the Arena and around town because, just like you said, we're going to be out there doing our thing uh, here at the Detroit Sports Podcast Network, and it's great to get insight from people like yourself. And I always say that the reason why this network has done well, the reason why we've been able to earn credentials is because we've gotten great insights from your colleagues like Dan Miller, yourself, who've just been so open and I greatly appreciate your time sharing the stories. The things that you said uh, hit home to us, and we'll take take it to heart. And uh, maybe just maybe we'll try and uh, do the best we can at reporting around town and get on the level as Sky. Because as Matt Derry said, legend, as I was sitting next to. Sky Kirstein, thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. This was awesome. You guys do a terrific job, and um, the studio is awesome. And I'm just, I think it's so cool that you're doing this. I really do. And Please, if anybody ever has any questions about this business, you know, feel free to reach out. You know, any way I could help out young uh, broadcasters or reporters, anything I could do. I mean, this is awesome. I just uh, absolutely love what you guys do, and thank you very, very much for having me in here. You listen to the one-on-one podcast on the Detroit Sports Podcast Network.